Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. I'm going after one of martial arts' most sacred cows in today's podcasts, kata. Settle in and get ready for some sobering perspective on this common training method. When you're discussing any subject, it's always best to start by defining important terms. The term kata can indicate multiple things, and there are two in particular that need to be identified here. The first is kata, which represent a predetermined series of movements in a pattern. In Aikido, the best example are jo or boken kata, consisting usually of a dozen or so attacks, blocks, and deflections in a set order. The second reference to kata is with the practice of having two partners work on a single technique. One plays the role of an attacker who provides a prescribed attack. The other plays the role of the defender or the person who applies a given technique. For the purposes of this discussion, I will refer to this as paired kata. There are paired weapon kata in both Aikido and other martial arts, which are a hybrid of these two. That is where both partners wield a boken or jo or some other weapon and move in a prearranged pattern of attacks, blocks, deflections, and counterattacks. I'll talk about those too and share a story about Aikido being taught with this method. That was interesting. Let's start out with a brief history of kata and how kata came into popular use for martial arts training. It does have a use in application. That is, when you need to train a large number of students in a short amount of time. Usually this happens in the military. Martial arts come from military roots, obviously. Training conscripts and low-level troops in the basics of combat was something armies have done for millennia. You don't have the time to take experienced soldiers and have them teach in small groups. You must take 50 to 100 men at a time with one instructor who leads them through basic movements, showing basic attacks and defenses, then running recruits through hundreds of repetitions are how you instill basic skills in them. At first you show single attacks and blocks, then you put these together into a block and counterattack. When you want to reinforce moving constantly while blocking and attacking, you end up with a basic kata. It's the lowest level of instruction you can provide. It actually helps to have a large number of recruits doing the pattern movement together. If any one of them gets lost in the movements, they can just look around for cues on what they should be doing. This type of training does not create highly skilled fighters. It takes people with no combat experience and gets them all on the same page of the simple movements that they should remember. That's it. The use of kata surged in popularity at the end of World War II when American soldiers who were in Japan sought to learn Japanese martial arts. Karate was extremely popular among the GIs. Japanese and Okinawan karate experienced a sudden increase in practitioners. Instructors who usually dealt with a handful of students now had to deal with large classes. They used kata to train the students with the basic movements of their art. Kata provided a hidden benefit to the Japanese and Okinawans as well, many of whom were not so keen on sharing their precious art with those who had just conquered their army and were occupying their land. That is, they could teach the katas, thereby giving the Americans the feeling that they were being effectively taught the art while not really showing the depth and effectiveness of it. Most Americans returned home with a knowledge of kata, but without the precious secrets of what made karate potent. Kata then took on a life all its own. One story that I recall hearing was of Ed Parker, who founded American Kempo Karate. He returned from training in Japan and took up establishing a dojo, which grew into a very large organization. It's been a long time since I heard the story, so forgive me if my numbers are not precise. Anyway, he arrived back in the States with around 30 kata, which he taught his students. 
Like the soldiers in post-World War II Japan, Japanese martial arts were of interest to some Americans. They were not nearly as popular as they would later become when Bruce Lee became popular in movies and TV, but Parker got enough interest to succeed in the martial arts business. What Parker found was that teaching 30 katas didn't take very long. When students learned them all and realized they now knew all the system had to offer, they would often quit. Parker went on to design some 300 or so katas and in doing so, keep his students' interest for much longer. This made for a better bottom line with students remaining students, that is paying students, until they had memorized all the katas in the system. This was a business influence decision. It didn't take too long before karate practitioners realized that they could do kata like crazy and get really good at them, but that didn't mean that they had practical skill when applying these movements in a fight. Some practitioners are still caught in the trap of thinking that being able to do kata well means that you're a good martial artist. Those who have strayed outside this thinking discover very quickly that kata are extremely limited in what they can offer. A number of karate organizations include competition and a competitive sport aspect, so those who take up this side of karate learn this lesson pretty quickly. In terms of Aikido, kata were not a tool that was used by Osensei, particularly the use of weapons kata as a teaching method. I've heard that he never did any kata. He just picked up a weapon and started waving it around, doing attacks, blocks, deflections, and movements. There are films of him doing this. His students, including Morohiro Saito, tried to codify everything they saw in a way that they could remember what he did. The result were weapons kata, and these are taught in Aikido to this day. My background is in a full-contact stick-fighting art with almost exactly the same weapons used in Aikido, the two-handed sword and the short spear. I've also fought competitively with many other types of weapons. I say this to let you know that I am quite experienced about effectively facing live opponents with weapons. This includes training others to be effective in a full contact fight. I have never, and would never, use kata to train a stick fighter. Kata is not time well spent for active combat. If I had to train a hundred people to fight in less than a week's time, then it would be something I would consider. For building true competence, no way. The reason is that when you are learning kata, a lot of mental energy is devoted to remembering the pattern. This pattern is not applicable to a real fight. Not a bit. There are a few benefits to kata, the main one being that you get your body used to doing a long sequence of movements which you need to keep your balance through. This is a good skill to have in a real fight, but kata isn't even the best and most engaging way to train that. It's not only boring, but it takes a really long time of training kata to reinforce that ability. You can do it in a fraction of the time with light sparring. Now that I've started talking about the particular benefits and problems of kata, I'll list off a few more. What are some of the benefits of katas? Katas force you to include in your practice certain movements so you don't forget about them. Kata can be practiced alone so you can do it outside of class time pretty easily. Kata provides exercise and the opportunity to hone your movement. What are the problems with kata? Kata lacks hand-eye coordination. It works on body movement alone. There is no visible target, and this is a crucial skill to a fighter to hit exactly what they are seeing as a target. This includes reading and tracking movement. It also includes learning your effective range. All of that is missing from kata. One might think paired weapon kata are effective for this, and they are better than solo kata, but not by much. The problem with paired weapon kata is that the range is easily and often distorted as partners merely bang sticks together and don't actually get close enough to strike one another. False adjustment of even two to three inches is the difference between useful practice work and pointless weapon bashing. 
Kata are lacking feedback. How do you know when you have done something wrong in a kata? You don't. If a movement is really far off, you might pick up on it. Perhaps you have an instructor point out your mistake and provide you adjustment. This won't happen in a large class, and very few mistakes get addressed during kata, even in smaller classes. No feedback means mistakes get missed and constantly practiced incorrectly. The best analogy I can make is imagine learning to play a piano on a digital keyboard. You just don't plug it in or turn it on. You can practice placing your fingers on the correct keys to do scales or play chords, but without hearing the sound, you are missing feedback of the timing and correct sound you should be hearing. Kata reinforce movement patterns. Patterns are both good and bad in fighting. Practicing sequenced combinations will build speed of execution, and that's a good thing. These combinations must be shaken up so that you don't build in predictable patterns. Unfortunately, Kata tend to build very predictable patterns and are not varied up enough. Training to go crisply from one technique to another is a good skill, but a long sequence of movements like Kata is not the most effective way to learn or reinforce those skills. Kata build false confidence. It feels good to move around well and wave weapons in the air. You can really make yourself feel like a warrior. The problem is there are so many crucial aspects to fighting that are missing that you don't even realize the feeling is completely false. Kata are pre-patterned. This means you shut off your brain and coast through them, and this gets worse as you train them more and your familiarity with them gets really strong. The result is lazy training. Want a common example of the result? Think of the alphabet. We all learn the ABCs by saying them in order, top to bottom. Run through them real quick and you have it down pat, right? Now go backwards with the same level of comfort. A few people may have practiced this, and if you did, then going backwards is no problem. If not, you will really have to think about it. Now start in the middle of the alphabet and go either backwards or forwards. You can now feel what it's like learning a pattern and having a pattern shaken up. Being attacked or being in a fight is pure chaos. You may execute two or three movements in a short pattern, but a highly skilled person chooses each movement he uses based on what he sees in that moment. He doesn't execute a preset pattern, especially one with more than a movement or two. Kata take up precious training time which could be spent on far more productive training. Spend your time in the training methods which provide the most return on your time investment. Most of us have lives to live and don't have all the time in the world to learn slower than we need to. Students who get bored or who are getting frustrated with how long it's taking to learn an art will quit and pick up one which builds practical skills quicker. Make the most of your time by training in ways which build multiple skills at once. They are far more fun and provide greater benefit than kata. Kata are not challenging. I think this is a reason that kata are popular, and that is that they can make people who are shy or afraid of dealing with attacks feel like that they are doing martial art training. Basically, they are going through the motions but don't have to deal with any uncomfortable pressure of an opponent or attacker. It's the safe space of martial arts. Good martial arts training does not provide you a comfortable space to rest and relax. It should push the boundaries of what feels safe so that you can build confidence in dealing with the uncomfortable. Just my opinion, though. Kata are extremely inefficient teaching tools overall. Here's a story about this from my first-hand experience, and one which showed me a great deal about how poor a teaching tool katas are. Let me set the stage here. There was an Aikido seminar I attended which was being taught by a shihan of an organization. This shihan also held advanced instructor ranks in both karate and a weapon-based art. The curriculum this weapon-based art is largely comprised of paired weapon katas. 
These paired katas tend to be 20 or so movements between partners, each consisting of a sequence of attacks, blocks, and counterattacks from beginning to end. It seemed pretty clear that this style of training and study was the Shihan's favorite, because he taught Aikido using this same method. He did not lead by demonstrating a particular technique, but the kata sequence. We students were shown the sequence of somewhere around 15 to 20 attacks and responses to techniques, which included counters and evasions, then instructed to go through the sequence with our partners. At the time I attended this seminar, which was only a couple of years ago, I had about 13 years of Aikido experience, including more than five years teaching five to six days a week. I say this merely to point out that I wasn't a beginning or intermediate student. I was familiar with every technique of the sequence, so there was nothing I hadn't seen before. When it came time to follow the sequence, I got lost pretty fast. Maybe this was due to the fact that I had not been exposed to these sequences before, being that I was not from this organization. I looked around the room and it was plain to see that every student in the room was struggling with the sequence. Even advanced students were not able to remember more than a few techniques into the sequence before getting totally lost. These were practitioners with more years of an Aikido than I had, and were members of the same organization. It seemed very clear to me that the method of teaching these sequences, even to people who are very experienced and familiar with all the techniques in the sequence, was a huge waste of time. No one really learned anything. We merely struggled for a couple of hours trying to remember the order of the kata. That seminar taught me another great lesson, and that is what happens when an instructor fails to notice how ineffectual his instruction is and decides to keep with it instead of adjusting to a teaching method that his students can benefit from. Instead, this Shihan got upset and started berating his students for not being able to follow his direction. What happened was a pretty significant teaching failure. Yet, he was adored and admired by his students who showered him with praise and adoration. I left feeling like I had just attended a week-long cult meeting. I believe the Shihan and others who endorse paired sequenced kata think that this method is useful for teaching skills which are ready for live fire. Everything I've learned from my live fire background against active opponents tells me otherwise. These paired sequenced katas are fun to do and more exciting and engaging than single technique practice, but are nowhere near sufficient to develop the skills needed for higher intensity sparring. At best, they are a very long path to build those skills. There are much better and faster ways to get much better results. I give full credit for wanting to go past practicing merely one technique at a time. And that brings me to the subject of paired kata. That is, you are working with a partner and working on one technique only, or perhaps different techniques from one single attack. There's a place for this in the training cycle, which is when you are learning a new technique. It's like learning the ABCs. It's a starting point. Then you learn about words, then grammar, then you learn to converse. Paired kata are a good starting point, where you have isolated the movements you need and removed all the other variables which make learning more difficult in the initial stages. The glaring problem is when all of your training consists of the ABCs and spends no time on vocabulary, grammar, or conversation. This is where the study is headed, the ability to converse. Just doing ABCs for a few years does not address the further skills. You can't skip over the ABCs, or vocabulary, or grammar for that matter. Each component is necessary. Aikido and many other martial arts tend to be stuck in doing paired katas to the point of omitting the next phases of training. In Aikido, Jiyawaza, which is freeform practice, Henkawaza, adaptive technique, and Randori, which means grabbing chaos. These are the additional phases of training. Practicing them is what builds up the skill of being able to perform under live fire. 
from what I've seen and heard from Aikido practitioners, is that very few dojos do these last three. If they do, it is very infrequently and there's not much instruction for how to do them properly. When I have asked various practitioners about how they train for randori, very few have any tangible answers. They admit that their dojo either never does it or they have not seen it in a long time. When I pose the prospect of training randori, most Aikidoka get pretty uncomfortable. Clearly, they are not confident in it at all. In fact, I'd say the idea of doing a randori is terrifying to most Aikidoka. This has always puzzled me because I feel randori is the ultimate expression of Aikido. It is very challenging, but it is where your Aikido gets truly tested. Someone who shies away from a test clearly has little or no faith in their abilities. Doing all the katas in the world will not prepare you for randori. In fact, I've noticed this is a massive trap for instructors and one that they unknowingly set up for their students. Here is how it tends to work. Students are told randori is as close to full violence as Aikido training gets, which is true. Dealing with one full-on attacker doing whatever he wants is scary enough, but dealing with several is utterly terrifying. Students start off by being petrified of it. Either they deduce that they need a few years of paired kata before they are ready to even think about starting to train for randori, or their instructor tells them that outright. The student goes ahead with the years of paired kata work, memorizing the steps and body movements to get them down pat. All the while, a program of sorts starts getting installed in their head. That is, whenever an attacker comes close and starts to initiate an attack, they execute a technique as they would in a paired kata. They think that they just need to practice paired kata long enough to be so good at executing their technique that they will be good to go when randori comes. They think that randori is merely a bunch of attacks strung together one after the other. The theory sounds reasonable, but it is not. Randori with live attackers does not work like that. Maybe they go to brown belt or so and are feeling quite confident that their techniques are solid because they can do them well in paired kata. Then they try out randori in this fashion and fail miserably. They quickly realize that being good at their ABCs does nothing to prepare them for a live debate. When this happens, they usually suffer humiliation and even a crisis of faith. Another thing happens in there too, which is they spent several years building up a healthy fear in their mind of randori. It is so scary that they need years of training to even begin working on it. This is not true at all, but they are now painted into a corner by the approach that they took to it, which was led by their instructor who has set them up for frustration and failure. You cannot expect a student to manage their own training. That's the instructor's job. If an instructor does nothing but work on paired kata, he is doing a disservice to his students. Maybe not in the short term, but in the intermediate and long term, their skills will be insufficient and they will likely walk headlong into a crisis of faith. If their skills are ever tested in live fire, there's a high level of danger that they will not be adequately prepared for success. Something for both instructors and students to think about. Remember, there's nothing wrong with asking your instructor about doing more Jiawaza, Hankawaza, or Randori training. Instructors often respond to interest, and students expressing their interests are very helpful. As an instructor, don't let yourself fall into a comfortable pattern of just teaching techniques through paired kata. It's easy to do, but you aren't guiding your students well enough if this is all you expose them to. Realize paired katas are a limited teaching tool. Challenge yourself to take their skills to a much higher level. Students enjoy this process and are happy to build the competence and confidence under your direction. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program is now live. 
Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.